going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Time. It was just one of those like chill out, relax, don't do anything, sleep in, do in, you get food for you and the whole nine. It was, it was a great time. The only problem was driving out there. The roads were, uh, they, they were actually not bad. We drove out Saturday morning and they weren't bad on the way out other than the Alberta stretch of the drive was a little dicey at times, but most people were taking it with ease. On the way back, just kind of slushy. Uh, there was a couple of instances where we had to be paused because uh, the road crews needed to clear the snow off. But other than that, it was it was pretty pretty clear. Now, that being said, the drive into work today, not so nice. The uh, the Highway 2 between Airdrie and Balzac must have been like a skating rink earlier on in the morning. I left the house around 1045 thinking, ah, this will give me plenty of time. Not so much. I got in in my regular time, mainly because there were about five vehicles in the ditch. And what amazes me is nobody knows how to use their signal lights. I'm going to hearken on that. Over and over and over again through the course of my tenure as Calgary Today host. But it would sure be nice. We can't read minds out there. So if you could just use the blinker for a little bit, that's all I'm asking. Just be really, really kind and courteous to your fellow driver. Because we don't need to try to swerve out of your way. That's usually the big thing that gets in the way. And hence why you have all the wrecks. On today's program, we're going to start things off talking education uh, a few points of interest, one that I'm going to raise from something that I, I tweeted out over the weekend, but a couple of other points being raised by Families That Work. A founder and executive director, Liz Elliott, will join us in just a few minutes to talk about one of the big issues she sees in the education uh, system right now, and that is scattered arrival times. When does school actually start? I used to be 845, but I know some schools have soft openings at 8. 8.15, and it's getting in the way of a lot of families, and in particular mothers who are trying to get back into the workforce. That's a topic of conversation that Liz Elliott would love to see uh, coming out of our provincial party leaders in this provincial election campaign. So we'll chat with her in just a second. A lot of questions surrounding the Fairview Arena, that roof collapse. A year ago, one group in particular, Indefinite Arts Center, wondering, okay, where's our home? Here we are a year later, and nothing's really been settled yet. We'll talk to JS for you about what they would love to see, um, not just out of the city, but also the province kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs a little bit on that front. And a big topic of conversation surrounding Calgary Police and the Police Commission last night around increased crime downtown. They're going to reallocate some resources. Inspector Rob Davidson will join us after 5 o'clock to dive a little more into what they plan on doing. It harkened me back to about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. Clean to the core was the campaign. And really, it looks familiar to me. So we'll talk to the inspector about that. And we'll also be joined by the end of the show by a multi-medalist at the Canada Winter Games being held this week in Edmund, in Red Deer, pardon me, Brooklyn McDougal, Calgary speed skater, is cleaning house right now. We'll chat with her near the end of the show. Plus, we got a couple of giveaways to get to, so it is jam-packed. Let's get started. 
I have a boatload of questions topically that I'd like to get to over the course of the next half hour or so, particularly when it comes to this provincial election campaign that we're in. Is one where we do a lot of talk about health care. I know Brenda has alluded to it. Uh, the Jason Kenney weighing in on it. Sarah Hoffman weighing on it. Uh, the premier talking about it as well. I know Rob was talking about it earlier. I have my own thoughts on that. But I'm going to start with education because over the weekend, I may or may not have tweeted something that got a, a whole heck of a lot of responses. And that was, I don't know if I agree with the idea of putting a flamethrower to the current curriculum rewrite. And the only reason is, is this is what, $60 million over six years that's being plotted on this? There have been how many consultations that have been done on this? Whether or not you like the content or not, is there something that you can salvage for it? I, I just, I, I don't like the idea of, hey, let's just firebomb everything that has happened over the last four years. There is certainly some parts of it that could be brought back to the table, should the UCP form government in the next election. That got a lot of responses, both positive and negative. I, I think you can pause it. I don't think you need to firebomb it. Beyond that is this bigger topic at large of whether or not it's you know our math scores, for example. What's getting in the way of our kids not performing well when it comes to math? Or how about English? There are a lot of people who are saying, oh, you know, people don't know how to write you know penmanship anymore. Valid point. But there's also that aspect of a few other issues that are surrounding uh, education. And so uh, the group Families at Work has been going for a couple of years now, trying to bring some of these items to light. And joining us now is founder and executive director Liz Elliott to shed a little bit more light here. Liz, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about a couple of ideas that you've brought up as we head into this election campaign and some of the things that uh, Albertans should be asking. And one of those, I, I really couldn't agree more on this, is the idea of the uh, school day versus the work day. And what do you see as maybe the biggest issue with this from a parent's perspective? Sure. Okay. So first I'll mention that families that work started actively speaking out and advocating for family-friendly policy in 2017 when we saw a real opportunity to um, influence policy development for parties that were in the midst of forming. And we really focused on this misalignment of the workday versus the school day because we acknowledge and through our own experiences understand that um, a school day can often be 8.45 to, let's say, as early as 2.30 to 3.30. And then it's common at this point that almost all school boards or schools across um, Alberta have at least one short day a week where that day, school day, is ending around 12.30. So this is putting a pressure on parents to try and find these odd periods of gap hours and childcare associated to them. And in many cases, it's actually deterring parents from either reentering the workforce or it's distracting them from pursuing their careers and taking them away from your, their jobs. Does there seem to be, or does there need to be maybe, uh, a standard time across the board, across the province for when school starts and when school ends? It's a bit of a complicated subject, and it goes back actually a couple years ago when they talked about the busing issue and Mm -hmm. trying to change the busing schedules to increase efficiencies to get everybody where they needed to go. The reality is that it may be a big task to ask all schools to start and end at the same time. What we need to do is have the education in the school boards 
acknowledging the impact that they have on families and working to solve the challenge of before and after school care. Right. Because that seems to be even, and I've noticed across the board, is it seems like every school or every school board has a different time in which they start. I know some, and then even beyond that, is it's not even a hard time sometimes. You have the, the soft walk-in at 8 o'clock with classes actually starting at 20 after 8, and then they're in school till as you mentioned, 2.45, 3 o'clock, or sometimes it's later, and it just seems to be a little all over the map, and so different schools might, or different boards might have a little bit of a, an advantage over others. Uh, absolutely, uh, there would be parents who are looking at specific school solutions because of their um, their 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 hours. So, for example, the Francophone School Board is known for having full day kindergarten, and uh, the majority of those schools don't have short uh, short Fridays. So, those are options where you're looking at school choice and beyond language arts and location and proximity to home. Parents are saying, "Well, what's practical for my family, and can I actually get my child to and from school?" And then beyond that, as it goes towards, if I can't get my kid to and from school, is that there's some sort of, as you mentioned, childcare issue, whether it's an in-school program or whether it's out of school. And then you talk about the costs beyond that. And and that's one of the second pillar of what you guys have been talking about lately uh, in the last few days here is the actual cost of childcare and having a real conversation about it. Talk a little bit about that standpoint and why we need to have that conversation. Absolutely. So we know that the actual cost of childcare on average for Albertans is around $12,000 per child for, that's sort of for the younger age category, but a lot of the tax care deductions that are available assume that this um, cost decreases with age, and in some cases it does, and in some cases that's actually not the way that it translates. But the child care cost, um, in, in principle, families that work believe that child care costs should never deter any parent from pursuing the opportunity and career that they would like to pursue. And so in that case, we look very critically at what childcare costs versus wage and minimum wage increase would be contributing to that because childcare workers tend to be minimum wage and it's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's definitely not the case that, well, you know, those, the step up wages have increased in uh, relation to minimum wage, meaning that that gap or that the difference between them has really been squeezed. So, We've come up with a couple of really good ideas that we think are cost-effective and efficient ways to handle them, and that's really what we've been asking um, the parties to focus on. So the first very common-sense solution that we've put forward that we've been talking about for about two years at this point is we just believe that the education, the, the school boards and the education system needs to be working more collaboratively with childcare providers to bring them into existing school facilities. We um, have actually seen circumstances where parental um, parent councils come forward and they say, we would like a before and after school program in this school. Um, I have a letter from the um, St. Joan of Arc School from June 5th, 2018, where the school replied to the parents' council and said that St. Joan of Arc is unable to provide the operating and storage space required to fulfill licensing requirements for before and after school care. And this type of response is much more common than people would realize. And we're saying we're finding it difficult to believe that there's absolutely no solution here and that we can't be sharing space more effectively, more efficiently, impacting the cost of before and after school care for parents to bring it down a little bit and leveraging existing facilities so that if where there is oversight um, from the provincial government, that it's handled in a way that isn't costing taxpayers dollars, meaning that 
we're just inviting private facilitators into an existing space and saying, hey, we're going to rent this space to you so that we can have a practical solution for the families that that have children here. Mm -hmm. Seems like pretty common sense. Another one that you talked about briefly is uh, a provincial tax credit. Talk about how that would all work. Absolutely. So we, again, acknowledge that the average cost of child care in Alberta is about $12,000 per child. And then your federal deduction caps out at about $8,000 a child per child. So there's a tax liability that's uncovered in that sense. And we're really looking at that. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it hits, this solution hits the broad mass majority of Albertan families acknowledging that if you are double working parents, which at this ho- in the, at this um, state of time in Alberta is m- the majority of families, that you are um, able to ensure that you're participating fully in the workforce. So we're saying if you are not bringing that money home, you shouldn't be taxed on it, essentially. So we've asked for a provincial tax credit of some sort to be issued on top of your federal deduction so that if you are paying out $12,000 per child, keep in mind how, how much that actually is for a family who has multiple children. So we're looking at $30,000 plus for a family with three children. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we're just asking that we're not being taxed for that money that's not coming home with us. So a lot of questions that uh, I think are going to be raised over the next few weeks and maybe even a couple of months here as we head into uh, the, the official start to the uh, provincial election campaign. Liz, thanks so much for the insight and some of the thoughts that you guys have heading into that said election. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. It was funny as we were putting the show together today, it just so happened everything kind of snowballed. And so there's all these things we could talk about, and I don't feel like I'm going to give enough justice to some of them. But at the same time, a couple of key points that I wanted to to go over from the last couple of days. One being the news of today being opposition UCP leader Jason Kenney saying he'd sign a guarantee that the UCP would not cut health care funding. And he's putting the promise in writing to counter scare tactics from the NDP. He also said that he would want a review of, of AHS within 30 days of creating government, which I know that's going to raise a bunch of alarm bells within the NDP and say, oh my God, this is the, this is the beginning of privatization. Is it wrong to have a review to either confirm what we already know or to maybe uncover something that isn't right? Because we've been screaming from the rooftops over the last, oh, I don't know, ever since AHS was created, that the bureaucracy is overbloated, as an example, or that we don't have enough nurses on the front line, or whatever. We have all these allegations about what is happening within our healthcare system. We continually talk about how we don't get the best bang for our buck and we're spending more per capita than anybody else in this country. And yet, the minute that somebody says, ah, we should review this, ah, no, no, there's, there is a sensible reason to doing that. And as long as, as long as Jason Kenny stays on message with that, then we're good. As not even Jason, I think Jason will stay on message with that. I do kind of wonder about people underneath because that seems to be the issue surrounding the United we roll or convoy that went down to Ottawa. And I had to laugh a little bit because we we're talking about this, um, the I, I've loved those who have stuck on point with that whole movement. It's about oil. It's about energy. 
And Dwayne Bratt wrote a really great piece where it was almost the perfect demonstration, except for two big reasons. One, the Justin Trudeau, uh, Jody Wilson, Raybould thing. That kind of derailed any attention away from what should have been because everybody was paying attention to that rather than paying attention to, oh, I don't know, a whole bunch of trucks sitting in downtown Ottawa. But the other factor, I'm going to read this verbatim because I couldn't agree more. The second factor was the infiltration within the convoy of white nationalists who used it to protest the UN Global Compact immigration and racist causes by not properly vetting participants. A percentage of the media coverage and social media commentary was not about oil and gas policy, but about the other odious aspects of the convoy. In addition, because the convoy lacked one key spokesperson, it allowed everyone to claim to speak for the group, even on matters that were unconnected to the stated goal of promoting oil and gas. This meant, at best, a disjointed message, and at worst, a racist message. Hmm... Sounds a whole like sounds a whole lot like the Occupy movement, doesn't it? Scalgry today on seven seventy CHQR. Not a good one if you are a regular user of the Fairview Arena, as you heard with Haley in the news at four thirty. It won't be replaced, at least not at the current site where the roof collapsed one year ago. And the cause of the collapse still isn't clear. So it's left a lot of users wondering what's next here including those at the Indefinite Arts Center. CEO J.S. Ryu joining us now on the program. J.S., thanks so much for the time again. Thank you. Let's talk about what you guys know to this point following uh, the, the issues at Fairview Arena and, and where are you guys at and in the process of finding a new home or finding a place where you feel a little safer? Well, a year has passed, and uh, not a lot more information has been made available to us other than the fact that the city has decided not to build an arena behind us. Uh, what some of your view, uh, listeners might not know is that uh, our buildings were actually directly attached to each other. So uh, even today, our studio sits on top of the main entrance and the changing room facilities of the arena that no longer exists. So the actual facility has turned into a bit of an eyesore, so uh, not having additional clarity around the future of our space um, is certainly uh, a bit frustrating and uh, and certainly for the 300 plus artists that we serve who live with dis- disabilities who access our space each week um, there's a, a an added amount of uncertainty for them because they would like some clarity around uh, what the, the future state of their home would look like uh, for them to continue to do their artwork. Has there been much in the way of discussion about saying, you know what, let's just cut bait and start somewhere fresh where we know where we're going to be, uh, where our future kind of uh, is going to be heading anyways? Well, it's interesting you say that because we actually uh, came to the table with all of our public sector partners with sort of a clean, fresh slate approach, knowing that the the facility that we're currently sitting in now is uh, pretty much the same age as the former arena, so it's reached the end of its lifespan as well. Uh, But we put together, we invested almost a quarter of a million dollars in, uh, uh, thankfully, in funding that we'd received um, to uh, developing a master plan and a business plan that would help real a community hub, an arts hub uh, in the Fairview community that would not only uh, continue to support uh, artists living with disabilities through our programming, but would also invite other community arts groups as well that need a home and developing it into a true creative hub space that would serve uh, people with disabilities, but also the broader community at large. So we've put that we've put that vision 
forward to the different levels of government. But again, not we haven't we've heard very positive remarks about the merits of the program and the need that we would be responding to. Uh, but as far as uh, actually getting it to the next level, where different uh, different levels would would come together with support, uh, we're not quite there yet. On that idea, where's the holdup? Is it a specific level of government or is there uh, are all three kind of holding off for right now? It's uh, my understanding of this process is that the province does hold a lot of sway in public infrastructure uh, projects throughout the province. Um, so there are agreements that the province has made with uh, the federal government, for example, where the federal government would choose to invest in, per- in a particular project, but only if the project, uh, the pro- province rather, greenlights that project. So um, the province has a lot of sway in that. I can tell you that our conversations at the federal level actually have been very positive. This particular program, the Joint Federal-Provincial Program called ICIP, mm-hmm. actually targets uh, vulnerable, marginalized communities. And so uh, for us, it's a no-brainer. We're creating a creative hub for that particular type of community, and the federal government has expressed nothing but uh, tremendous praise and support for this project, but the province has to uh, say they support the project as well. And so um, I I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm in no position to, you know, try and pressure the government. But um, certainly, I think, you know, given that a year has passed, and given that it was a, a tremendously uh, large-scale disaster that uh, sort of precipitated this whole process, um, I would hope that uh, the province could certainly take another look at our particular project and give it some added consideration. And I do wonder, JS, when it comes to whether you guys pull up stake or when is uh, when is patience run. And run a skew for you guys. Well, we're committed for now to stay in Fairview. This has been our home for the past ten years, uh, and 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 not only are we a resource for our artists that come to access the program, but we have community classes that are open to kids that are going to the school next door. Like we're we're a very major part of the broader Fairview community, and so I think it's important for us to stay. Um, but like I said, we're not we're not as concerned about uh, you know changing potential potentially changing political dynamics because the need is so remarkably there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the roof collapse was was one thing, but uh, we have 300 artists and their families and volunteers and staff, so close to 500 people a week that come to use this facility. But we also have a wait list of more than 100 individuals waiting 24 months to come into our facility. We're bursting at the seams, and we also have partnered with other disability arts organizations that have searched for decades for a home and finally have lined up behind us to hold hopefully realize this vision of this sort of unified space where it would be a completely barrier-free, universal design, uh, creative hub for people with disabilities. So I think the merits are absolutely there, um, but but our wish uh, is to stay in Fairview. Although, you know what, if another plot of land comes up where we're able to uh, move our plans elsewhere, we're not closing the door on that option either, but our preference is to stay here. JS, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon and giving us a little insight into what you guys are dealing with uh, a year after that roof collapse. Thanks very much for your interest. There have been a ton of conversations over the last few weeks surrounding that safe injection site by the uh, Sheldon Schumer Center downtown and the crime aspects of what has followed since then. But even beyond that is when you look at the economy, 
and the number of homeless people that we're dealing with. And suddenly it harkens back to about a decade ago, I feel, where we were trying to clean up the downtown core. We were trying to make it a little more user-friendly. And I'm getting that sense that people aren't overly impressed in visiting the downtown as of late. So the Calgary Police Commission talking about moving some pieces around to maybe address the problems. And commander of District 1, which is downtown, is Inspector Rob Davidson. He joins us now. Inspector, thanks so much for the time today. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Give us a little bit of an overview on how you foresee the reallocation of resources and the moving around of resources in the downtown core to meet the needs of the community. Well, certainly we started uh, reallocating resources, uh, certainly back into last summer when we started hearing concerns from community and some of the early observations that we were seeing from our members. And that included, uh, you know, reallocations uh, within the existing resources uh, as far as uh, what priority areas they would go into. And that included into Central Memorial and the area around Sheldon Schumer. But it, uh, a couple of more tangibles as well. We went and re-looked at uh, the shift scheduling and the calls for service uh, that were occurring and uh, re- readjusted both the shift schedules for their beat officers uh, as well as our uh, mountain bike officers so they better align to uh, peak calls for service. Uh, we also brought in additional resources from across the organization, uh, particularly when it came to more of our uh, covert um, uh, operations and targeting you know, the illicit sales of drug trafficking. And uh, certainly most recently, uh, we have uh, brought back uh, another day shift uh, beat team. We did pilot that in August and September last year mm-hmm. uh, with a fair bit of success. And so we will be relaunching that starting on uh, Monday uh, with a sergeant and uh, more officers. I was going to ask about that particular pilot project that you guys had. Is I remember talking about it. It was one of my first shows. And one of the, the keys was is to make sure there's more of a, a presence seen and felt in the in the core is that what uh, you th- feel that you accomplished i guess with that project yeah it, it was we saw that you know not only in the stats that uh, came uh, from from that pilot project you know our officers generated over 640 uh, on view calls for service that's proactive policing in a very short time and, and we also responded to over 100 uh, publicly generated calls for service but we heard uh, and I heard very uh, clearly uh, from community personal emails that were uh, sent to me uh, speaking to the increased uh, presence and the increased uh, feeling of safety and thanking us uh, for for that pilot project and uh, paying more attention or having an increased presence in some of those areas. Is this kind of along the same lines as I guess what we saw maybe a decade or so ago there were a lot of concerns I believe it was around uh, Olympic Plaza that area where there was a, a lot of concern about safety and that kind of thing and so it was just a matter of bringing more resources to the table but also allocating them in a certain way is this sort of a throwback to that in in the grand scheme of things I think it's very similar. You know, you go back to where the community was 10 years ago, it's quite different uh, than where it is now, both uh, as to the population, the downtown core, you know, the development into the East Village. Um, We certainly saw a change in the type of drug that's occurring, uh, increased uh, vulnerable population or homelessness within the core. 
the number of officers uh, in our beat unit uh, in our mountain bikes are f- pretty much the same as they were uh, when uh, the original claim to the Corps in 2009 launched. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is uh, that those existing resources uh, that were deployed, you know, a decade ago are no longer, you know, sufficient enough to keep up, you know, with the calls for service and demand in the Corps. So what we have done uh, certainly is redeploy from other areas across the city uh, other to get our officers increased presence into the downtown core in the city center communities. When it comes to the mindset of those who are calling to you with complaints, is it a matter of the drugs that they're seeing? Is it a matter of, hey, you know, we're noticing more of a homeless population and so we're wondering about safety there? Is it just the the people that, that are around? What are some of the bigger complaints or bigger uh, bigger issues that they're seeing on sort of a grand scale? I think if we're going to look uh, specifically around social disorder types of calls, what we're seeing is uh, increased suspicious person complaints uh, in unwanted guests, uh, people that have uh, made their way into private properties or foyers or or alcoves uh, for a variety of reasons. We see some as drug use. We see some as simply taking shelter um, from the elements. Uh, But with that, though, we've also seen quite an increase uh, in some of our property crimes, and uh, those would be car prowlings, uh, breaking enters into uh, you know, uh, locker storages and parkades, uh, rummaging uh, through uh, uh, vehicles. And so there is a little bit of a combination of both that's happening. Social disorder, those calls are up for sure, and, and you certainly can take those back. At least what our officers are seeing, complex social issues, mental mm-hmm. health, addictions, homelessness, and unemployment. Uh, but we are seeing uh, property crimes associated, uh, what I would uh, suspect mostly is supporting addictions. Uh, and then uh, more troubling in the last while is uh, seeing some increased uh, incidents of uh, violence. Inspector, stay on the line. I have a couple more questions for you in regards to this downtown presence that you're hoping to accomplish with the reallocation of resources. We're going to continue this discussion in a second. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Inspector Rob Davidson is the commander of District 1, which is downtown Calgary, as we're talking about the reallocation of resources and moving shifts around and that kind of thing to address some of the uh, social disorder issues that are popping up in the downtown core. And as I mentioned before, uh, Inspector, is that this it seems a lot like that clean to the core idea from about a decade ago. And so at, what what's your message to those businesses? What's your message to Calgarians who are going out there and, and having a tough time uh, dealing with some of the stuff that is happening there. Well, I think there's uh, two things that are going on. We need some very immediate short-term uh, goals and objectives, and that's going to be done very tactically uh, with uh, uniform presence, um, and that can come in a variety of ways, uh, very thoughtful uh, use of uh, uh, proactive security services by property owners and uh, property managers, but uh, increased police presence, coordination with our uh, partners in the city, whether that's in transit or, or bylaw. So some very immediate uh, steps can be taken as far as uh, addressing immediate social disorder and a feeling of safety. But when we look at those underlying root causes, as I mentioned, mental health addictions, homelessness, if we're going to get to a problem-solving solution, then we need to really establish those long-term strategies. And I do uh, think that we're seeing that uh, happening both at the municipal and provincial level now. We have some very good, healthy conversations that are happening 
these are not issues that we can uh, arrest our way out of. So if we're going to have long-term solutions, we're going to have to invest towards uh, those uh, very complex social issues. How much of this is going to weigh on patients for whether they be residents or business owners or facility owners in the downtown to say, hey, we can't be expecting results tomorrow, but we can maybe in six months look at this. It needs to be a bit of a a long-term look at this because this is sort of a multi- uh, multi-issue thing that needs to be addressed here. It is, and I, I see from the interaction I've heard a, a quite a bit that Calgary is a very compassionate city, um, and certainly there appears to be quite a good understanding of the complexity. At the same time, though, um, I, I think from the feedback I'm hearing, people are at a point um, where they don't feel safe at times in their community. And so what they're looking for uh, is short-term immediate actions. And um, I think that's the uh, primary focus, certainly at the tactical level of our district officers and the work that I'm doing in District 1. Um, And they're looking to see some short-term solutions and realize and and asking for those long-term ones. Um, But they really want to see increased uh, police presence uh, and an increased uh, feeling of security and safety. Inspector, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Great. Thank you very much. Inspector Rob, Davins, uh, Rob Davidson, the commander of District 1 of the Calgary Police Service, weighing in on some of the, the issues around the Sheldon Schumer, but also around the downtown. One of the things that I've noticed lately driving through there a lot is the homeless population is a little more, not hostile, more aggressive towards uh, panhandling. That might be something that I'm sure will be uh, dealt with. It'll be fascinating to see what happens in about three months uh, when police do get uh, that report back. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Approaching 543, and check this out for a resume from the Canada Games. Gold in the 500-meter long track. All long track, by the way. Silver in the 1,000. Gold in the 1,500. Bronze in the 3,000, a fourth place finish, finish in the mass start for the women, and silver in the team pursuit. Yeah, she's got a little bit of metal around her neck. Brooklyn McDougal joining us now on the program. Brooklyn, thanks so much for the time. Thank you very much for having me. What a last few days you have had uh, at the Alberta or at the uh, Canada Games. Walk us through what it means to you to do so well uh, during these games. Oh, it means so much to me, and especially being from Alberta, being in my home province for Canada Winter Games, it just makes it that much more special. Um, it's been it's been kind of crazy this past these past few days, and I couldn't have asked for anything more than the results that I've gotten. And uh, I've had amazing teammates, amazing coaches that have helped me get to where I am. And it being at a multi sport event uh, in our country, it's it's huge. And I just yeah, I'm so thankful that I'm here. When you started off the games, what was your expectation? Did you have hopes and dreams of just hitting personal bests, or did you think that you actually had a shot at uh, taking home some hardware as well? Uh, well, that was my goal uh, for coming into Canada Games was to, to bring home some medals. Um, but I definitely surprised myself uh, in some of the events, and um, and I think I've made some huge personal gains here already. Um, I think I'm really excited to go back to Calgary and see what I can do uh, on indoor ice and and see how fast I can go towards the end of the season. What has been the key to your success over the last few days? 
Um, you know what? I've been trying to keep it simple on the ice and just uh, sticking to, to what I know I can do. And, um, and with the different conditions, you never know what you can get. Sometimes if a big wind gust comes, it can completely throw off your race. But uh, just kind of staying low and, and staying in that aerodynamic position um, made all the difference with with the weather conditions we've had i was just gonna say is is it's one thing to do these kinds of times at say the oval or or in and any other indoor location and yet here you are doing it in outdoor did you train for the outdoor aspect of it did you train for the weather how do you how does the training differ on that front yeah, for sure. Well, we um, we usually have a, at least one national event uh, during the year that is outdoors. Um, but this year was actually a little bit different, so we didn't get as much outdoor experience. Um, but luckily, we got to uh, come out to Red Deer and try out the new oval at Great Chief Park um, about three weekends ago. So uh, that was incredible, and just kind of getting that extra edge um, on 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 knowing the the oval and, and knowing the ice. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. We, we stick to the same, it's, you try to, um, skate the same indoors as you do outdoors and, uh, um, and yeah, that's, that's what it. (laughs) Have you ever had this kind of success before at any kind of meet or any other kind of event? Um, well, I, uh, so I'm first year senior now, uh, but in the past two years, I've actually got to represent Canada at junior world championships. And, uh, so at those national competitions, I ranked really well, and uh, and in internationally as well, I, I did really well last year. Um, but with this this event, it's just it's completely different. And winning like medals in front of a huge crowd, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's it's very it's a very different feeling. Who did you look to find in the crowd, or did you when you finished the first race to get that first medal? Oh, I looked for my parents, <laughs> my mom and my dad. Yeah, they were they were a lot. They've come to every every event, and they've been cheering me on and braving the cold out in the stands. But yeah, I looked for them and also my coaches. They've been amazing this past week and just been so supportive. And I can't thank them enough. That's got to be a cool aspect of it. Like you mentioned off the top, is the fact that it's one thing to go to a Canada Games and and be in another part of the country, but to be able to win a medal in your home province has got to be something that you know you've got the home province crowd cheering you on. And not only that, but you've got some family in that right nearby waiting to see how well you do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's I. I'm so happy. It's it's in Alberta and. Uh, I'm so proud to be from Alberta and from Calgary, and uh, yeah, it's been incredible, and the volunteers and everyone have just been so nice and so helpful this entire experience. One of the cool things with the Canada Games, I find, is that it kind of gives you a bit of a snapshot into what the future has in store, Olympics-wise or otherwise. Uh, You're getting that chance to showcase yourself. What are your future aspirations? Because you're still a young lady at the end of the day. Yes, yeah, well, I I hope to um, next year... Uh, I I think I could hopefully make it onto the Senior World Cup circuit or at least uh, get sent to a couple World Cups, get more international experience. And then um, ideally, yeah, I want to make it onto the Olympic team and uh, get to represent my, my country at the Olympics. But it's it's really cool being at the Canada Games because they make you feel like you're you're an Olympian and, and it's kind of like a, an Olympics on a smaller scale. So it's it's really cool to have a taste of that. That is fantastic, Brooklyn. Uh, Congratulations on all that you've accomplished during these games and looking forward to seeing what you've got in the future. Uh, Best of luck and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. 
Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.